coming on the screen in a moment here, I'm sure, because I forgot what it was. No. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 16, uh, verses, just, just a few verses, 5 through 9 today. 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 9. And I asked the question, are relationships important? And if you can see on the screen, uh, there's a 3D imaginary diagram, perhaps of a molecule of some sort. And you think of, think of God's creation and God's world. It's, it blows the mind. It's so amazing. I mean, to, you know, think about this piece of wood that I'm tapping here. As we all know, it's actually mainly space, right? It seems so solid, but there's less material here than there is space. And um, that can't be, can it? But if you look into the uh, molecules, you'll see all of this amazing space. And it's, it's a thing of activity, is it not? Uh, there's lots of things going on. Electrons move. And, you know, ask yourself uh, what you, you know, in our our limited knowledge. Maybe some of you have even expanded knowledge of physics. Um, does, does the relationship of the particles matter? <laughs> That's a really dumb question, you know, because of course it matters. <laughs> you take one out of relationship, you might have something very explosive, or you might create something very dangerous. Uh, you'll certainly create instability, and systems will probably break apart. And uh, bad things happen when things aren't in the right relationship, the way they ought to be. And we live in a world where a lot of that happens, where there's a lot of bad relationships and there's a lot of bad things that happen because of it. And so we're going to look at that a little bit today from our scripture passage. And every once in a while, probably three or four times a year, I like to read our whole philosophy of approaching the Word of God as stated in the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3. And this is a beautiful passage, 2 Timothy 3. Uh, let me read just a little of the context. Today is going to be a lot about context, because context is about relationship. Who is, who's in my sphere? Let, let me look around me and see what, what flow of the stream uh, might be near me in these th three st strands of three. But 2 Timothy 3, uh, you might want to turn there. If not, just listen. 2 Timothy 3.10. Here's Paul talking to Timothy, whom he loved. Timothy, he called his son in the faith. He was invested in him. He was in a relationship with Timothy. Uh, he loved him, and he spent time with him, and he discipled him. Uh, and he says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire, you know, it's just the desire to live a godly life. All who 
desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a happy, happy promise right there. <laughs> the whole goal of our Christian life is to desire to live a godly life, and the good news is, therefore, you will be persecuted. And all God's people said, oh, no. <laughs> Whoa, what, kind of, what kind of motivation is that? Well, it's truth, and we persevere, and out of them all, God will rescue us. Verse 3, and, and uh, 13. I, I'm reading this because also because look at verse 13. It just describes, you know, listen to the radio news for eight minutes. Turn on the TV, watch one of the networks, I, which I never do, actually. We don't even have cable, so I don't, I don't get those networks at all, which I'm kind of relieved about. But uh, this is it. Every few minutes we hear this. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed Knowing from whom you learned it. Is that a reference to a relationship? It's not just a set of data. It is from whom you learned this glorious information. Um, They love you. And they are invested. And sometimes it's people who have passed on. I just went to my mom's funeral a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm thinking about, you know, both my mom and dad are buried uh, next to each other. And they're passed on. But does that mean that uh, their influence, you know, no more, cut it off, doesn't matter. No, it still matters to me. Uh, I still want to live uh, in a relationship with them, don't I? Knowing from whom you learned it. Look at this, verse 15. And from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. You know, at home, you can create holy spaces, right? All of our space should be holy, committed to God. But at home, we can open up the sacred writings. I mean, how holy is that? How awesome is that? And, and from childhood, you were acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's the, here's the one that uh, is the uh, home run, the... the uh, Grand slam, as it were. He just loaded the bases. And now it's going to come a pitch which gets hit out of the park into McCovey Cove. I can imagine, if you're a Giants fan, nobody's a Giants fan. (laughs) We've got one local. (laughs) There's this place at AT AT&T Park. It's called McCovey Cove. It's out in right field. And... uh, if you hit the ball just right, see, it goes out into the San Francisco Bay. And, it, it, and the outside, every game, there's a bunch of people out there in kayaks. They sit there for like four hours <laughs> waiting for the off chance that today somebody will hit a ball out there. It's like 
excuse me, get a life, you know? <laughs> you can buy them at Big Five. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was a big thing when Bonds was hitting the home runs out there. But anyway, oh, I, I, I don't, I don't div, um, get off the track because this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scripture. All scripture. You know, why, why would we read seriously verses 5 through 9? Why not just pass over it? All's, all Scripture is, is breathed out by God. That's reason enough. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, please, in your kindness... Help us to hear the sacred writings today, Lord. As we have sung, as we have prayed already. And Lord, uh, we all admit we need training in righteousness. And we're so thankful that it comes from you through your word. So train us in righteousness today. Amen. So our relationship's important. Obviously, I'm going to say yes. I already said yes several times. Uh, but uh, this is a good week to think about this because this is the week that you and I will miss this. <laughs> this is a rough sketch of the solar eclipse. And you can barely see it on our, our dark screens. We have an eclipse of our projectors here. <laughs> but here's the sun, right? And here's the moon. Is that the moon? That looks like the earth. Whatever. Let's just pretend it's the moon. <laughs> the sun's light is blocked by the moon. And so people in the sweet spot, which doesn't happen to be Monterey, will experience uh, on the 21st, tomorrow, manana. Tomorrow, darkness. And uh, it's something, I, I read in the paper, it's something like 6.30 in the afternoon or something like that. I mean, can you imagine that? Total darkness, amazing and wonderful. Uh, do relationships matter? You know, of course. You know, if, if the moon's in the right exact spot, then it's going to be quite amazing for people in that perfect uh, line that goes all across the United States. And you and I might see some grayness and some shadow, uh, but we're going to miss the real thing because we're not in the right relationship. And I just want to know, why are you here today? You, know, you, should, <laughs> you should be somewhere else if you really wanted to see the uh, eclipse. Now, I'm kidding, of course, but that's the truth, right? You've got to be in the right relationship if you want the eclipse. You've got to be in the right relationship if you want the truth from God. So let's look at, at this p text for today, uh, and let's uh, read it and open it up a little bit. First of all, this is 1 Corinthians 16, just 5 through 9. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter. Saying, I want to spend a lot of time with you, several months, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Now, literally, what he's saying there is so that you can help fund me for the next phase in my missionary journey, and I'm not even sure exactly where I'm going next, 
but you can help me, encourage me, uh, and literally help support my next phase of ministry. And look at verse 7. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. He doesn't want to just say hi, like, okay, we're in Costco together, and I see your face, I'll say hi to you, and then I'll go avoid you. Um, Not that any of us would play those games, right? But he doesn't want that. No, 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 no. He wants to be with them. I hope to spend some time with you, see, if the Lord permits. It's always according, if, if it is the Lord's will, these are my plans. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. See, Paul is in Ephesus at the current time, uh, working and ministering and teaching there. And why are you going to stay there? He says, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. He's, He's teaching and there's lots of people growing, lots of people interested and it's going really well, and he's very excited about this opportunity. He doesn't want to leave. But then notice the next thing he says there. And there are many adversaries. I don't want to leave Ephesus too soon because the adversaries, there's a lot of enemies. People are trying to derail what I'm teaching and trying to undo what God is doing. So that's our text for today. And I'm going to open it up. You'll try, hopefully you'll see why I said our relationship's important. First of all, what, what is the value? What is the value of our church relationships? That's what we're talking about in general in this passage of Scripture. Paul has a very, very good friendship with the Corinthians. He's in a relationship with them. How valuable is that? How important is that interpersonal relationship? Are relationships important? Well, of course, let's start with this basic Christian teaching. Jesus commanded us to love one another. Jesus commanded us to love one another. Look at the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 15. I think I have the references there. Let's start with chapter 13. If you have your Bible, turn there. It's kind of good to... Uh, cement these passages in your mind by looking at them in the text. John 13, 34. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the basic command here. And it, again, you know, it's not a suggestion. This isn't uh, something that you, you, you could do if you felt like you had time. I could get involved with those Christians. I could be faithful to the small group. I might consider going to church. No, this is a command. You are to love one another. What does love look like, right? Love is not a casual, flippant, shallow commitment, is it? Uh, love is durable and wonderful and amazing. And so notice that, that, let's look at the next one. It's basically the same thing, but 1512, John 1512. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So that's the comparison. Our, our walk in the truth is demonstrated by our love. Jesus says, 
you are to love as I have loved you. How did he love us? You guys are kind of a little bit quiet. I don't like that. So somebody just tell me in summary how Jesus loved us. Absolutely. He died for our sins. Uh, amazing demonstration of love. And he says, you're supposed to love one another at that level where Jesus died in our place. What kind of friend is that? You know, There's no better friend than one who will die for you. And sometimes we think of that in terms of our military. We're very, very thankful that they're willing to uh, go through horrors, even be on the battlefield and even die to protect uh, our values and our nation and our, our peace. We live at peace and comfort uh, because of other people's sacrifice. Uh, and Jesus is the ultimate example of that. He, the perfect, pure one, died for our sins. He took our sins for us. That's what love is, an amazing commitment. As I have loved you, how is that compared to this whole idea of relationship? Should a relationship be durable or should it be, uh, you know, obviously I'm saying of course it's supposed to be durable. That's the durability test. Am I willing to go through extreme difficulty for this relationship or am I just going to say, hey, this is difficult, this is uh, unpleasant, this is challenging, I I'm just going to opt out of this. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to move. I'm going to go. That's, that's the American way, you know, quite frankly. Uh, just, you know, get a divorce, leave. Uh, when it's challenging, when it's difficult, you're not committed there, you leave. That's not the love that Jesus is talking about. That's not the kind of relationship that Paul is demonstrating for us here. And then I have this ne next phrase. I already uh, got into it a li little bit. Our walk in the truth is demonstrated by our love. Look at this passage, 1 John 2, 9. John also wrote these little letters at the very end of the Bible, just before, basically, the book of Revelation. 1 John 2, 9 through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother, abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Now listen, there's a really huge tendency as fallen human beings to grow to despise each other, to just hate each other. And as we already prayed in our pastoral prayer, uh, our nation is so divided and there's clashes over racial tension in our United States and oftentimes it's wrapped in some sort of religious or you know God forbid Christian clothing you know, I'm, I'm a Christian and I hate a certain set of people I hate my brother in Christ this is Paul excuse me John is saying excuse me you you don't love you don't know God if that's the way you are approaching your brothers. If you hate your brother, you are in darkness and you walk in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
So hate is not an option for believers. We're in relationship. We are to love each other and committed to each other to even die for one another. All right. Love is durable, self-sacrificing, and redemptive. Love is durable, self-sacrificing, and redemptive. What do I mean by those words? Well, durable, I've already talked about it. It doesn't quit easy. Uh, it doesn't go away when things are tough and difficult and embarrassing, challenging. Uh, I, I'm so blessed. We're, we're, this is the month of our 38th marriage uh, wedding anniversary, my dear wife and I. And uh, she will tell you that we've never had one conflict for 38 years. Now, not even one disagreement. <laughs> no, this is not true at all. I'm completely trying to pull your leg. We've had um, a few <laughs> disagreements. We've had a few uh, times when, you know, quite frankly, on a, just on a human level, it's like, this, this is too much. I can't, you know, I'm, I, I, get, I get really... Uh, pig-headed, or what's the right word, you know, like uh, strong-headed and uh, stuck in my ways, and I don't want to listen, and uh, I can be really unlovable, you know, really, and it, thank God that Charlotte has given the gift of durable love, durable love. Uh, divorce is not an option, my dear, uh, I, I, I married my son-in-law, John, and my daughter Carrie, right here, in in a November a few years ago, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then for some reason, John just got a tattoo right here. He got a ring tattooed on his finger. Um, his first tattoo. We're kind of hoping maybe it's his last. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, I, I jokingly said, and maybe I shouldn't tell you I jokingly said this, but I said. That's going to make divorce a lot more painful, you know, because <laughs> he's tattooed a ring on there, and they both shot back, well, divorce was never an option, you know. Um, that's not even a word in our vocabulary, because love is durable. And then Jesus is the ultimate self-sacrificing example of love. He self-sacrificed. I'm willing to do the hard work to make this relationship work. And then redemptive. Love doesn't toss it away. It's a very similar concepts. Durable, self-sacrificing, and redemptive. Meaning, I want to redeem this thing. I want to make it work. Paul says, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to spend time with you. Uh, we're going to make this relationship work. I'm not just walking away from it. So Jesus commanded us to love one another. Now Paul is, before our very eyes, living this command. Paul lived this command. And I want to open this up just a little bit for you um, this morning as we study this together. Paul lives what Jesus command. What is the book of Corinthians about? <clears throat> it's about Paul having to correct, reprimand the people of Corinth over and over and over again. He's correcting them, even in some really harsh words. Um, and he's, he's having to bring them and expose their immaturity and their sin. In other words, he's going through lots of embarrassing things. He's, he's 
calling them on the carpet. He doesn't just gloss over these things. But in the midst of that, he doesn't want to lose his relationship with them. Uh, so many times, again, uh, the tendency, I can speak as a Northern Californian and American, but I think it's a human tendency. The human tendency is, <clears throat> if we correct somebody, or if they correct us, we'd just really rather not see them again. Because that was embarrassing, and that was difficult, that was challenging. It probably even goes back one step. That is, if I feel like I ought to correct you, and I ought to say something, instead of doing that, I'm just going to not see you again. I'm going to go away. I'm going to hide, right? Am I, am I hitting anything here? Right? That's a tendency, right? Uh, Americans, we don't, we don't like confronting people. We just want to, you know, there's this phrase, you go along to get along. You just go along with whatever just to get along with people. And that's not the way the Bible presents it, and that's not the way Paul acts. He loves them, he confronts them, but he still wants to stay in close relationship. He strongly corrects them, but still, they must be close. They must be in right relationship with Paul. He won't let them go. They still must be close. Uh, look, for example, what God inspired Paul to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Speaking of weddings, this is the most quoted piece of scripture in a wedding. 1 Corinthians 5, uh, excuse me, 13, verse 5. Just read a little bit here. Very um, familiar words. Let's see. Uh, let's start at verse 4, rather. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Love hides from the truth. That's what it really means there. No. <laughs> That's not what it means. Love rejoices with the truth. We need to talk about this truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So Paul's living that. Uh, I'm, in, I'm not going to just give up on that church in Corinth. It's a crazy, messy, unbelievable. He keeps saying, I can't believe you people are doing this. You know, you're arrogant. You're proud of this stuff. It's, in, it's crazy what you are allowing to go on in that church of Corinth. But instead of just saying, forget it. I'm going to give up on this. It's too difficult. No. You must be close. I love you. And love is durable. Love is self-sacrificing. And love is redemptive. So he strongly corrects them, but still, they must be close. Even though the relationship is messy, it must remain. Uh, I, I want to read a little bit of scripture on this. Uh, look at, I don't have a lot of time, but there's this really interesting history. If you look at 2 Corinthians, the next letter, 2 Corinthians 1, 23. Here's the, here's the interesting history. After Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, which is this long letter we have, apparently he wrote a shorter letter that he's going he's to call it the, the painful letter. or the, It's a very confrontational letter 
that made them very, very upset. If 1 Corinthians didn't make them upset, this other letter that we don't have made them upset. And then he, because of that, he had to make a, a quick trip over there. Uh, and he calls that the painful visit with them. Uh, and even though he goes through all of that messy stuff, he still won't give up on the relationship with them. Uh, look at uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 23. Here it says, But I call God to my witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work for you for your joy, work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. And then look at 2.1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Uh, so he'd gone through this real, this is so cool. I've, I hope you can get this because it's actually very cool, profound, and interesting. Paul's on a mission to restore his relationship with these Corinthians. He writes a letter, the first Corinthians, and that didn't seem to work too well. And he writes another painful letter that we look at 2 Corinthians 2, 3 through 4, the same text. Um, and I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Anyway, so Bible scholars piece this together with other texts um, and say he wrote this painful letter and then he made this other visit, which he calls the, the painful visit in uh, verse 1 there of chapter 2. And this is the really cool part. You know, get this. Are relationships easy? Do they repair easily? Do we give up on repairing too quickly? See, Paul is saying, I am doggedly not going to give up on this relationship. I'm, I, you know, I, I write this big letter to you. It doesn't seem to work. Then I write you this other letter that's really painful and confrontational. And that seemed to really hurt you guys a lot. And then he comes over and makes this really painful visit, which was really awkward. Uh, and he sort of hightails it back. And then he has the audacity to say at the end of this long letter of 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm going to come and see you again. <laughs> I'm not giving up on this relationship. It's painful and difficult, but for some very good reasons, which I'm going to close with in just a moment, I will not get out of the right relationship with you. Even though the relationship was messy, it must remain he comes to them to determine their relationship. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Sometimes we have to make a visit with somebody to really determine where they are. Um, let me look at this real quick. I, I, real, I feel like I'm running low on time, which I am, but that's okay. Uh, what, you know, the board members said I could go to quarter after today. They really did. A few of them. It wasn't an official vote. <laughs> but uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go to 14 after. So just, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm not. Don't run out of here uh, screaming. Could, could somebody open that door for me? Uh, Andre, could you? 
or you know, Amy. Um, I'm, I'm filling in this point on, on this slide. He comes to them to determine their relationship. Uh, he comes to look at 1 Corinthians 4, 17 through 20. This is, this is kind of a threat early on uh, that he's coming. He's not, instead of just hiding away when he thinks they disagree, he wants to come. He says, uh, 4.17, That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. He actually comes to confront them. He's willing to put himself into a very difficult situation. Uh, he's hoping that they'll repent, uh, but he's anticipating that some definitely will not. Okay, now let's look at the next idea here. We love because our lives depend upon it. Why was he so doggedly committed to this church relationship? Why didn't he just blow it off and act like, well, we have different tastes and we just don't tend to get along. Let's just separate and go that way. No, because our lives depend on it. If Look at, I have this reference here. Um, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Look at John 6 with me. I love this little passage in John because... Jesus is talking about how it, to be a biblical Christian means that you're going to be in a minority and a lot of people will think you're either dangerous or mentally ill or just plain stupid. Um, and, and he's talking about that here. And let me, I'll read a little bit of context here. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Let's just pause there. A lot of amazing information there. Just the idea here is. God is all-powerful, and he even controls who comes to him in faith. And he's saying that no one can come to me unless it is granted, unless it's given to him by the Father. The, the Heavenly Father gives this gift to certain people that they will come to Jesus in faith. That's what that word says, right? Well, that's not controversial at all, is it? <laughs> 
Well, that's hard and that's deep and it's amazing because you're looking at the very nature of who God is and speaking of relationship and his relationship with his creation. How does it all work? He's ultimately sovereign over all. So look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They said, okay, that's it. You're cr that's crazy talk. God's not that big. God's, that's not my God. I, I hear that actually occasionally in the church, not this church, but in certain times that I have taught, <laughs> I've heard people say, well, excuse me, that's not my God. You ever heard that? Yeah. Well, let's allow God to tell us who he is. Who are you, God? Well, I've revealed myself in Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's breathed out by God. And so these disciples, his disciples, turned back. They didn't have love. They didn't have that durability of commitment. They no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter, praise God for Simon Peter, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, where are we going to go? <laughs> and see, Paul has that same exact attitude. It's not so much that you need to be in relationship with the man Paul, the apostle, but you need to be in relationship with what he's teaching. And here's the problem. When you decide, well, I don't like that man Paul, I don't like that church, I don't like that, that kind of person that believes that, and I'm going they're to... Not, they're not cool. You know, so I'm going to disassociate from them Here's the problem. You get out of relationship with them and you're no longer in that sweet spot where you get the total eclipse. Uh, you're out of it and you, you stray from the truth as well. And that's why Paul is so, may I say, worked up over this idea of relationship. We have to stay in relationship because if you get out of the relationship with the church, you are taking a step away from the truth and you will suffer for it. Our lives depend on it. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, I'm not going anywhere. It may be embarrassing. It may be difficult. But I'm not going anywhere. Our, relationship, our relationships in the church are tied into our relationship with truth. That's what I believe this text is teaching us. If we decide that we give up on our relationships in the church, we're taking a step away from being tied in with the relationship with the truth. And look at this here, finally then. Bad company ruins good morals. This is a quote from 1 Corinthians. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company will ruin your theology as well. It'll take you away from the truth. And concluding on our text is that is why Paul is staying in Ephesus. Uh, read it again or listen to me read it again verse 8 but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries there's a lot of competition uh, to God's truth and Paul the apostle all the apostles the word of God Jesus Christ himself 
They, we care about the competition. We, we don't want them to win. We want to keep God's people true and in the truth. Uh, so look at that a little bit with me. 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. So the image in, in uh, the book of Corinthians is that Paul's saying, um, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus for a little while because there's a, there's a lot of people really listening to the truth, but there's these adversaries too. So look with me at 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7, very quickly, this beautiful context. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain, this is Paul to Timothy, of course, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. What is this different doctrine? Nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love. This is all about love. We love you. And if you stray from the truth, you are losing your life. You're losing your eternal life. We are committed to love you. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons... By swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, yet without understanding either of either what they are saying nor the things about which they make confident assertions. Okay, so let me sum this up. Uh, the, the different doctrine people were teaching a false means of salvation. Uh, they were teaching that you could work hard, you could follow rules, and you could be right with God. They, and they brought in all this false information to support it, uh, myths and endless genealogies. And it was attractive. It was an attractive form of teaching. And Paul says, that's why I'm staying here, to win this battle with the false doctrine that these people are teaching. So I just end with this image again, you know. Why should we stay in right relationship with God? Why should we stay in right relationship with the church? Because if you veer out, you get away from the truth. And you will fall away from the eternal God, the eternal life that he offers. Let's pray. Oh, Father, in your kindness and grace, teach us.